Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We are lawyers, mothers, and hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Just as we differ in political philosophy, we've arranged our lives in very different ways, from our careers to where we live to our choices around marriage and family. But we have more in common than divides us. In a world that increasingly defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. Choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life, everyone. I'm so excited to be here today with Tish Auctionwriter, podcaster, writer, community blogger, traveler, mother, extraordinaire. I just love you so much, Tish. Oh, I love you back. Thanks, Sarah. Let's talk about the first time I met Tish in person. I started crying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's like, I don't remember that. Do you no, remember? Well- I remember you telling me about this, but I don't have a particular memory of it. So that makes me, I mean, I think it's hilarious that you did, but I did. I you. I, you were talking to Megan Francis and I introduced myself and I just was so identifying because we can talk about this too. I feel mm-hmm. like you were the first like sort of big voice I said, I heard in the just communal mm-hmm. internet space that was like, Hey, you don't have to do all this. And I was like, really? I don't. <laughs> And you're I like, no, that. you don't have to do all this. And I was like, okay. And so when I met you in person, I was like, thanks for telling me I don't have to do all the things, Tish. And you're like, I don't know you, but I, you're welcome. Oh, I love that that, like of all the things that would make you identify with me, that that would be it. Because, yes. man, amen. So oh. that's that's how you started. You had a website called The Simple Mama. Where that's where our, we were just, were just talking about this. Well, how we'll kick off the conversation because... Mm-hmm. You, I think we're like, I, like I said, I think a pioneering voice in the minimalist, simplistic space, at least that's how I identify you. And I think you should take up that moniker. Um, but <laughs> you've really evolved since then. And like the, the website is different and you are a podcaster now. You do this amazing podcast called Women's Work, of which I was the premier guest. I'm flipping mm-hmm. my hair. Y'all can't see that, but I am flipping my hair. Um, <laughs> and have just done, you know, you, you traveled the world with your family, you wrote about it, and I'm so excited that hope we'll talk about this later that you're going to start writing fiction soon. So just tell me how this started and how the nuance of simplicity and how that has evolved over time. Well, it's funny you say, like, I'm a pioneer. I'm saying it in air quotes because I, <laughs> I totally don't feel like it. But when I think back to when I started it, you know, we're, we're talking like late 2007, early 2008. The main reason I started a site called Simple Mom at the time was because that was very much my life. I had a two-year-old at the time. She's now 13, so it's amazing. Mm. And we were living overseas, and that was 
all I was dealing with was trying to figure out how to redo everything, not redo, relearn everything, I guess, you know, because everything was slower and more methodical and honestly simpler. And yet it also felt kind of more complicated because of that. So I was just cataloging my thoughts. And the reason I started the website with that kind of niche in mind was because I could not find one out on the internet Mm -hmm. that spoke to me. All the simplicity minimalist blogs out there were all written by guys. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, I'll start one then. And I'll just write, you know, I wasn't even trying to like be a pioneer or carve my way through it. It was just literally, I started what I couldn't find that I wanted. Mm -hmm. So, um, That's why I started out in that niche, not because I had things figured out. In fact, it was kind of the opposite because I was being forced to figure it out for myself in my new life. And so it was so very much a learn as I went kind of project that I was doing out on the internet. And of course, this is back when blogs were, I mean, they were, yeah, and they were, and they had been around a few years, but they were exploding in popularity. So it was just kind of a cool thing that it found its audience relatively easily in that first year. And the next year, you know, this is early 2009, I realized, gosh, I am learning a lot, but I still don't know a whole lot. And my situation is really unique, you know, living mm-hmm. as an expat in a particular kind of culture with my particular priorities. So let's bring in other people because I don't want this to be a like she knows everything kind of website. And so I brought in contributing writers in 2009, like a year into it, and it's had that ever since. So we're going into our 11th year and 10 of those 11 years has always been not just me. And so now fast forward to 2018. And yeah, I don't write much on there anymore, simply because I like writing about other things. And we can talk about that in a minute. But I still podcast. And that's probably what I spend the bulk of my working time doing podcasting and working on books and that kind of writing. So yeah, it's kind of fun to think about the mini story journey from, you know, point A to point B where I am now. I think that's so interesting. I had always thought that you had been, I guess I just hadn't put the timeline together in my head to realize that you brought in other writers so soon. Yeah, I brought in, I think, four writers that first year. And it was with that idea, like, from day one, I really wanted to go out of my way to avoid sounding like the, I have my act together person. I really Mm -hmm. wanted to be both the, like, I am learning as I go and a you do you kind of person. Mm -hmm. I was really skittish about, I guess, because even back then the internet was really preachy, you know, and I didn't want it to come across like a, this is the best way to live your life. And I'm still learning how to make sure I don't come across that way, you know, because I definitely have some line in the sand things that I think are pretty important, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I don't know. I'm the older you get, the more gray there is and less black and white. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which is, I guess, what this whole podcast is about, really. And right. um, yeah, I'm learning that daily. Well, how is your uh, sort of thinking on simplicity evolved in your personal life, not just sort of in the outward professional facing um, space as the simple mom slash now it's called the art of simple. Like mm-hmm. how is that involved in your, like how you raise your kids as your kids get older and all, and as you stop traveling and started to stay in one spot and all those things. Yeah. You know, back when I was first exploring the idea, anything you would find on the internet tended to be a checklist of things and mm-hmm. usually kind of a do's and don'ts. Like I will do this. I do care about this. I don't care about this, that kind of stuff. And 
while there was definitely this idea of like, you come up with your list, it was still pretty prescriptive and still pretty like this is uh, kind of formulaic. And as I went on with my life, as my kids grew, I mean, there's a huge difference between raising babies and toddlers and now having a teenager. It's so much more about like my definition of simple living now is living holistically with your life's purpose. And so to me, what that means is, first of all, you know, your life's purpose, you know what you're about, you know what you care Mm -hmm. about, you know, your vocation, which is more than your job. It's a lot more of, you know, how your life speaks. And then living holistically means all those little moving parts are generally pointed in the same direction. And so Mm -hmm. that looks like work, health, where you live, you know, all those little things that are not clear circles, they all kind of bleed into each other. But, you know, if you were to draw arrows as to which direction you were headed in, in each of those things, they're all kind of pointed the same way. And so that to me is what it looks like, which is pretty freeing because it can change your, your little situations can change. You know, you might move or you might start a new job or your kids get older. And yet, if you know your overall purpose, then those things just require little tweaks here and there, you know, and it's the difference between roles and purpose. It's like, why, mm-hmm. why so many women, whenever they become empty nesters, go through this freak out phase of, you know, what am I about? And it's mm-hmm. because the whole time your life was not, your role was, well, you had a role of parenting, but that wasn't your life's purpose. Right. And, and so that role changes. And so for me, my role has changed from a mom to little bitties to a mom to a teenager and a tween and, an you know, older growing kids, basically. And we all are that way. You know, no, none of us have the same role year at a time, especially when it comes to parenting. Well, and I think that's so important. You know, what we try to do here is sort of scratch the surface. What are we really talking about when we talk about church clothes, for example, which is mm-hmm. a topic I'm very passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's so right. Like when we're when we are becoming obsessed with Con Marie or capsule wardrobes or tiny houses, what we're really trying to talk about is not where we not just at least where we live, what we wear, what we eat. But is it, like you said, aligning with our lives purpose in this holistic way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a really good example I can think of is I have a friend named Sarah Harmeyer. She does Neighbors Table. And, you know, I mean, she's just an example, but she really prioritizes hospitality and entertaining in her home. I think she has a goal of like 2000 people in her home a year. It's something <gasps> huge. And that's, that's what her amazing. whole, yeah, that's what her whole like thing is about. And, and so, you know, when you know your life's purpose and if, if, you know, hospitality is so important to you, it's part of your purpose, then you're going to have a bunch of plates. You know, you're not going to be a minimalist in that department because that actually matters to you. And so that's why I think there's no such, you know, there's not a formulaic checklist because you care about this. I care about that. And so the tiny house concept or the capsule wardrobe concept, those are all great. But if you don't know what you're about and you try those things and then you get frustrated and you realize, oh, I actually want a kind of a bigger house because I care about these three things a lot, or I need these sorts of, you know, clothes and not these because this is my life, then then it all kind of works out and you can start exploring those ideas, which are fun, but in a little more nuanced guilt-free way because Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to look like what, you know, the exact number, the 37 things you're supposed to have in your closet or whatever they say. Well, here is my question, though. Mm -hmm. So I think you're so right. I think that that discovering that life's purpose, but 
What do you say to the people who are like, I don't know what the heck my life's purpose is? Because I think where we run into a trap and tell me if you if you agree or disagree or think this is what people have a tendency to do. I know it's what I definitely did, which is, well, I will just sit and think about my life's purpose instead of thinking, oh, no, maybe I'll try some on and then release myself if they don't work so that I've learned a better, more full understanding of what works for me and what doesn't. Instead, I wanted to just, you know, figure it out independently in my own thought process as opposed to experientially. Yeah. Well, hey, a shameless plug for my course, Like Your Life. Because <laughs> that's, exa- that's exactly <laughs> Which what... Which I've taken. Thank yeah. you. And that's exactly what the purpose of, you know, that course is because I get asked that all the time. Like that's the mm-hmm. inevitable next question is, okay, well, sounds great. How do I find my life's purpose? I'm, you know, I'm kind of joking. You don't literally have to take my course, but my course goes through what I did to figure that out. And what I found was that a lot of it is simpler than we think because we have Mm. this idea of going up to a mountaintop and meditating. And if we sit there uh, long enough, we'll have this transcendent moment of figuring out our life's purpose, or we need to, you know, meet with a life coach and spend thousands of dollars and, you know, all that. And it really doesn't have to be like that. I think a lot of times it's it's stuff right in front of us that we can journal and figure out and pick up clues from our real life and then piece it all together to kind of figure it out. So, for example, things like what you wanted to be when you were a kid or your favorite stories, like your, the mm. books and movies that stick with you and you just love, um, what bothers you? Like, what are your soapboxes? And, you know, breaking it down to where it's not just some big, huge, like, you know, issue. It's a little bit more, it can be even smaller, you know, than that. It can be something that you just notice bothers you throughout the week. You can start parsing that out if you just give yourself the brain space and the time to figure that out and use all those little pieces to put together like, oh, so it's interesting. I care about these things. You know, we break it down in like your life into skills, passions, and uh, I forget what, something else. (laughs) And you start figuring these things out to where you realize, oh, so I value things like autonomy and um legacy, like leaving a good legacy for, you know, the future of my family tree and things like that. And I don't care. I mean, it's not that I don't care about certain things, but I may, I maybe don't value those as highly as these other things. And so that's why for me, I want my life to look more like this than this other person who it's great. You know, she's doing her, that's wonderful. Um, but so basically to me, it's a lot of little things that can reveal our purpose more than some sort of, you know, important formula or transcendent experience. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, here's what I think is so amazing about your journey in particular, and I have a lot of admiration for the way that you do this, is I think it is almost easier in a way to say, try things on, see if they fit or don't, walk away when they don't. Through sort of the lens of, I mean, failure is a strong word. I don't want to use failure, but something that's not working. But Mm -hmm. what I've seen watching you over the last, I mean, gosh, almost decade is that you 
do that in the face of successes. I mean, I know personally, if I'd had the success that you had at Simple Mom, I would have been like, okay, cool. I'm going to keep this all to myself. (laughs) Or to to never, like, not to invite outside writers or to, if you, you know, you did this, you traveled the world with your family and that became like, you were such a strong voice in that space. You'd be like, well, I would have been like, well, we better keep traveling, kids, because this is where my success hit. And so this is obviously what we're about. So we're going to keep traveling the world for the next 10 years. Or, you know, what, but you're so good, I think, at being like, okay. Well, this was working, and I learned a lot from this, and this is where I'm taking it next. And I just think that that takes a lot of bravery, and I wonder what you, how you get out of the stories in your head that are like – or maybe you don't have them, and that's impressive because I would definitely be like, no, let's, if this is the success. We can't change it at all, or it might go away. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. You know, there, there's two parts to this. I think my personal life and kind of the professional life, aka what I put out in the world. And you know as well as I do that the only constant on the internet is change. And so it's like as soon as you figure out the, you know, Facebook algorithm or whatever, they're going to change it on you. And so True. I have learned over the past 10 years that if I keep professionally doing the same thing I'm doing all the time, then I am. I'm going to grow static and I'm not going to learn and I'm not going to reach people, you know, Mm -hmm. because what we, how we used to, to read and and consume the internet, you know, blog posts and then comment sections on blog posts and all those other things that doesn't work these days. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and, and I've learned to be okay with that instead of get frustrated. And I've had to learn the whole essentialist con concept of saying no to 99% of so hard. It is so hard, but it's so worth it though. You know, it's just so worth just saying at the end of the day, I can't care about this because then I'm not giving enough of my energy that I really want to spend on these things I do care about. And so the personal side of that, it kind of works out for well for me is that it's kind of weird. I I do best on a regular rhythm or routine throughout my week, but I thrive on change. Mm. And so, you know, I find myself naturally every few years wanting to try something new. I'm 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 not risk averse, I guess. I'm I kind of tend to be the, you know, person that's cool with just trying it out and seeing what happens and what's the worst that could happen. Well, I fail and it doesn't work. And okay, we just try something else. You know, I'm not saying it's always easy for me, but I think that that has its advantages when it comes to things like this, that I I don't know, I change, my kids change, our whole family situation changes. So for me to just expect, okay, this is how I have found success. So therefore, I'm going to just keep doing this is just Mm -hmm. not how it works in our era. And, you know, in the digital way we consume things. So it's so true. I mean, what if you had put all your eggs in the blogging basket? And now, you know, it's not that blogs are necessarily totally gone. But like you said, the the way people interact in the space and the new spaces people are interacting is so different. And what's funny is I feel in some ways, some things come full circle. Like I, I, gosh, last summer, just decided I'm not really going to blog much anymore. And I'm going to leave the yard of simple open to other voices because I really did feel like that chapter was coming to a close in terms of that topic of things I had to say. Like I'm, I still care so much about living simply in a way that works best for you, but I just felt like I didn't have anything new to say. Mm -hmm. So, Hey, I'm going to just invite other people to really share their best stuff. And that's what we've been doing. But what I found is taking a nice little, I don't know how long it's been now, nine month break from consistent blogging, I kind of miss it. And, yeah. and so, you know, I have my own personal site, 
just to shocksandwriter.com where I'm starting to write more just because I miss it. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of brought the fun back to it a little bit. I don't have comments on there. I am not caring about traffic one bit. It's just a place for me to express myself, you know, however I want on topics beyond simple living. And it's been fun. So it is kind of cool how I feel like in some ways we do miss the quote, good old days of the internet. Um, where just we were a little more civil and we read longer <laughs> form beyond just like little sound bites on Twitter, things like that. So tell me about the ways that the the after your recent changes, tell me about the ways you're thinking and the new spaces in which you are expressing yourself and sort of how you got to that space and what you're excited about now. Well, gosh, I mean, it's funny because it looks like I'm doing, well, I am doing lots of new things, but to me, it feels very much like finally, because I've been thinking of these things for several years, but because I'm the, my family's breadwinner. So I need to make sure I don't just like burn bridges and move forward if that also means we can't, you know, keep the lights on around here. So I have to be really strategic, which can be frustrating because I'm the type of person, like when I have an idea, I want it like done yesterday. Mm-hmm. And and so it gets hard for me to say like, so I need to launch a new podcast in six months. Are you kidding me? Oh my goodness. But so, you know, I say all that to say, it's been about two years now where I've been thinking about what's next, what's the future, because yeah, it quote works, but if it's not life-giving to me, if it's not, mm-hmm. it, the tricky thing about earning an income from your creativity is that you really need to be in a place of wholeness and wellness for that creativity to outflow naturally. You can't fake that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and do well long-term. And yet at the same time, you have to you know, consider the income thing all the time, which can automatically put a barrier to your creative outflow. So it's really, it's really tricky. And I've had to walk that fine line and it has not been easy the past year. But so thinking about moving on from the art of simple, even the simple show, just these concepts of simple living as much as I love them, like just what else am I about? I got to thinking this was, uh, you know, last summer on the simple show, I really just want to talk to other women about the stuff they do. I just think that's a really interesting topic. And I know you can't get more broad than that, right? Stuff you do. And so (laughs) I thought, you know, what are things I know nothing about? Like I, you know, I, in terms of behind the scenes, yet I actually enjoy. And I got to thinking about like design and music and, you know, just various fields. And so I looked into who were really interesting women doing things in these departments. And so I had a six part series on the simple show called women's work, where I just wanted to test out how did I enjoy talking with these women about what they do? And there was nothing majorly uh, groundbreaking, groundbreaking here. I, I asked them literally, like, tell me about your work. What does a day look like to you? What's your favorite part about your job? What's your least favorite part? I mean, like, really just as though we were having a cup of coffee over a table, and I just hit record. And it turned out that I was not the only one who found that interesting. Because <laughs> in 2017, those were the m- most downloaded episodes we had for the entire year. And it was just rando six part series. Wow! And so to me, that told me, okay, there are other people interested in this thing. So I started just brainstorming this idea of what would this look like to be its own standalone podcast, where I really am just asking women about the work they do. Like I asked you about being a city commissioner and 
Um, you know, I wanted all sorts of women in STEM fields in, you know, in fact, one of my biggest like criteria aside from they love what they do and they're able to talk about it is that I didn't want to hear from the same 20 people we hear from all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you see that a lot, a lot on the internet of these thought leaders, you know, TM where they're, they're all, they've got a stage. They're, they're well known. I wanted to talk to, you know, the librarians or the, mm-hmm. the small business owners, these women who really do make our world go round, but we just don't know about it. And what has been so fun since I launched this thing is I have made, except for just a few, like the first, maybe four or five episodes. And it was just because I really legitimately wanted to talk to you guys, like you and a few other friends. Every single guest has been because a friend or a colleague of theirs recommended them. So we just opened up, you know, this contact form and saying, Hey, if you know of someone who would be really great to, for us to talk to, let us know. We have been flooded with ideas and they're so good. And so we have enough recordings, like we have enough on our schedule now for well into uh, over a year. We have enough, um, episodes already planned for that makes so much sense to me though because the only thing i like more than like recommending things to people because i love to recommend things is talking about like my female friends and how awesome they are and like oh you want to know what she's doing and like you should talk to her she could fix your problem like this you should talk to this person and this person and this person that makes so much sense to me and i love it it's so encouraging honestly those emails are so fun because it's women or other you know there's some men too but women elevating other women and Mm -hmm. one thing i've been really surprised about pleasantly maybe because i was getting a little cynical is that maybe two or three percent of all these emails are people pitching their own stuff which is fine i don't have a problem with pitching but you know i was expecting to suddenly get this like deluge of just people telling me about their new book or their new whatever no it's all these people saying oh you've got to talk to my son's math teacher she's really cool or that's so awesome. you know and i just love that so much so it's honestly a bright spot to read those emails and it just makes me excited about the future of women's work because clearly we're scratching an itch here you know and what's funny mm-hmm. is like this is such a basic concept. I am not doing anything that you probably wouldn't do if you just were sitting by somebody you didn't know and just started chit-chatting, you know, Mm -hmm. because I I purposely don't even do a lot of uh, research in advance because I want to ask the questions that a listener would want to ask, like, oh, what does that word mean? I don't know what you're talking about, you know, or, um, you know, so you work in a lab all day. How do you, if I can ask, how do you get paid? You know, that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. I want to ask. So it's really been fun. It's, it's honestly a joy to record podcasts again. And I haven't felt that way in a while. So I feel like this is kind of one of my next things that I really want to be about. Well, and you know what makes so much sense to me? I've been thinking about podcasting generally and and how often I talk to someone who is starting a podcast or I talk to or I listen to a new podcast and sort of the central emotion behind it is I just love people and I just want to talk to people (laughs) like I just love I just want to hear other people's stories and I just want to listen to people and I want to hear their and I it's in this moment in time. It feels so hopeful to me that podcasts are growing and the more and more people want to start podcasts and have these conversations. We are clearly so hungry for each other, you know, just hungry to connect over our stories and to listen to each other's lives. And I love that this medium has provided that opportunity and that people like you are out there doing that because I think people 
want that. I have this theory. It's because we all miss the Oprah show because that's what the <laughs> Oprah show used to be about. Well, and it's all about your word nuanced too, right? Like I mm-hmm. think podcasts provide so much nuance because you can hear it in people's voices that you can't yep. in a tweet or in a mm-hmm. blog post, you know, and I don't know. There's something just really uh, soothing. You, I mean, I guess it depends on the topic, but just soothing or invigorating or encouraging to hear other people's real voices having real conversations. And um, so I think that it's podcasts are really feeding that um, that thing that we've been missing on the Internet, I feel like. Well, and tell me about this, too. So I know that you've made some changes to your social media presence, and I know that those are, have been some lessons learned. And I guess simplify is the right word for that. So how, do, how does that journey evolve, your sort of presence on different social media platforms? Yeah, you know, so I don't know if you've ever read the book Deep Work by Cal Newport. Yes, oh. it's so good. Yeah, it really rocked my world a lot. And I was annoyed about that at first. It's like, okay, so yep. you're telling me I have to rethink everything about my work? Fine. Um, but I read that. And when he made the good point about how we live in such a distracted world now that really the the ones that are going to make healthy forward progress in our culture are the ones that are able to do deep work. And by deep work, he means, you know, sustained long periods of concentration where we are doing things that really matter. And I I took an inventory of like my typical work week and I realized how distracted I had gotten. Even though I love doing long form things like book writing, I genuinely like book writing. And you know, I like when I get in the zone and, and do things I love. I just was not making the time for it. And I realized how I had just fallen prey to this, uh, you know, how our brain seemed to operate mm-hmm. in our hyper-connected world where, okay, yeah, I'm going to sit down and write 2,000 words in my book. But first, let me check Twitter. First, let me check Facebook and then Instagram and then this other Instagram account of mine. And then, oh, I should check my email. And then and before you know it, it's three hours have gone by. And I'm, and at the end of the day, I realized, like, I what do I want to be about? You know, that idea of legacy that's so important to me when I am gone and 50 years from now, or, you know, even just when I'm older, when I look back and I say, this is my body of work. Did I want a whole bunch of really pithy Facebook posts (laughs) or Mm -hmm. did I, did I want something I could genuinely be proud of? These things I created, these books, these kids that I made time for because I wasn't on Twitter during, you know, dinner or whatever. And so I just realized something has to give, I have to have these little bumpers down my bowling alley so that I don't just go off into the gutter all the time. And so for me, that looked like quitting certain things. Like I quit the Instagram accounts I created for both my podcasts because I started them feeling like, wow, there's a lot of great people I admire doing great work that have Instagram accounts for their podcasts. I should do that too. I have zero problem with people doing it. I think it's a great idea still. Honestly, it's a great move for growing your podcast. But I figured out at the end of the day, when I really owned up to it, I am really equal parts writer and podcaster, possibly a little more writer than podcaster. And so if I need to make time to write my books, I cannot manage three podcast accounts, I mean, Instagram accounts, Mm -hmm. along with everything else. And so just something had to quit. And I did not want to quit book writing. And I did not want to quit Instagram altogether. And I, you know, so I kept my personal Instagram account and quit those other two. I also am really not on Facebook anymore, my personal account. I only go in to check on a few groups a few times a week. My face, my business page for the blog is auto 
you know, created Populated, yeah. yep, through a different app that I use. So I don't even need to go in there. And my assistant checks it a few times just to make sure that people are being nice. Otherwise, just I, I found for me personally, Facebook was really not good for my soul and my energy levels. And so that was just what I, I chose to, you know, set aside. And so I do more of my just chit chatting throughout the week on Twitter. It doesn't bother me. I know it bothers other people, but that's, you know, that makes sense because Facebook bothers I'm, me. I'm going to make a personality test about which social media platform you are drawn to and mm-hmm. how you react to it because I feel like it's all there. Yeah. No, I totally, completely agree. I think. I think I like that Twitter has a little bit of distance to my personal life. Mm. I don't know. It just felt a little too – Facebook is still great for things like local connections, mm-hmm. I feel like, or mm-hmm. real, you know, like my old college roommate kind of stuff. But just to have these conversations about, you know, the nuanced things in life, the politics, the, you know, what we care about, it just was not – making me happy <laughs> to yeah. have those on Facebook and they still don't. So yeah, that that's just my personal boundaries, but I do feel like we all need to figure out what ours are so that we can do good deep work, you know? How have you, how, what no- differences have you noticed since you've done that? Well, the Instagram quitting of those two accounts has only been a few weeks, but I've already felt, it was amazing how instantaneous freer I felt because I think I was just putting a lot of shoulds on me. I should Mm -hmm. do it this way. And as soon as I did that, because I value autonomy so much, it just felt very much like I was making my own decisions and that was important to me. And so I felt lighter. Um, I also find myself just less worried about doing it right, you know, because these algorithms change so much that there's no right way to do it. Because as soon as you figure it out, out. it's going to change. And so to me, I'm like, it's like parenting. As soon as you figure your kid out, they grow up. Exactly. The same idea. And so for me, the most constant thing is building my email list and connecting with people via email. So I'm going to do that. And then I realized also, I, I started a Facebook group a few years ago, and that grew so big to where I can't even connect with people personally well anymore anyway. And plus, they want to talk mostly about simple living, which is fine, because that's what it's about. But I wanted to talk about other things. So I realized I need to start Patreon, because Patreon is where I really want my inner circle of people who genuinely care about what I'm putting out now, like mm-hmm. women's work and book ideas and stuff. And so that's been great, because I feel like I can have those conversations with people that are really invested in me and it's a smaller group. And so that's been really nice. So I just find that I get those needs met in other ways that are just more about what I want to be about. Well, and it's about the just willingness to constantly experiment and sort of test and say, okay, well, what is working about this? What isn't? Is there another space? But, you know, that's such a hard journey to go on because there's always something else you could be exploring and finding that balance of, well, this works good enough right now. Do I really want to dedicate the time to try to figure it out? I always feel like that's a struggle too. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I just said earlier that I thrive on change, but at the same time, it can be really exhausting. And that to Mm -hmm. me just is, it can be uh, deflating, you know, in terms of your inspiration and energy for your work. It can really be disheartening to think that you like something a certain way, and then it no longer happens. So, you know, I know I'm not alone that in what 2014 or so when people really started moving away from commenting on blogs, that was really discouraging to me for quite a while, because we used to have a pretty active, uh, very 
positive, engaged comment section on The Art of Simple. And when I found that people were really moving to social media to do that, I was really genuinely discouraged. So I say all that Mm. to say change can be frustrating, you know, and that to me is all the more reason why I want to hold on to these things that at the end of the day, I really care about like email. I don't think that's going to change and book writing. We're still reading books and how long have we Mm -hmm. been writing books? You know, that kind of stuff. And podcasts are literal conversations with people, you know, that's not going to change. So these things that just feel a little more solid and real are what I want to invest in other than, you know, besides things like Facebook and Twitter, which, and even Instagram, which are lovely in some ways, but they could just change in an instant. And that's exhausting. You know, I'm 40 years old. I don't want to be constantly (laughs) every year reinventing myself or trying to figure out how to use the internet. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, God, I agree with you so much on that. Mm -hmm. I I had not um, put words to that frustration, but you're so right. Well, tell us about the book writing aspect of your life right now and what the next stage of that looks like. Well, you know, I'm, I've been writing books for almost 10 years. My first one I wrote in 2009. So it's amazing. And those are all nonfiction. And that was fantastic. I really learned so much about who I am as a writer and what I want to be about. And my last one as a travel memoir was the most personal book I had written where it really was not a nonfiction book with a lot of practical how to's. It was really just storytelling, which is a memoir, you know, and in a memoir, you take your own personal applications as a reader, but the writer is not here to tell you take these 10 things and go implement them in your life. And so I really enjoyed that journey as a writer of just sharing stories. And actually, that's what women's work at the end of the day is about sharing stories. And mm-hmm. and so when I realized, gosh, my thing is sharing stories. I love that because I think we are all hardwired as humans to learn best through stories. We remember mm-hmm. stories so much more than we remember action steps. If you think about the sermon you heard on Sunday, you remember the illustration that they gave and not really the application, you know, sometimes years later. And so I think that's just how we're wired as humans. And I just, I don't know, at the end of the day, I want to capture that and, um, and really dive deep into that in my work. And so after at home in the world, you know, that was my last uh, in my book contract with Thomas Nelson, I had written two books for them and I had a great experience with them and, I just thought, what's next? And so my agent and I talked for a while about, all right, is there another nonfiction piece I have in me? We tried and we wrestled several, (laughs) and not wrestled. Well, yeah, I was wrestling. (laughs) We explored quite a few ideas. I even wrote a proposal for an idea and and I gave it to her. And she knows me pretty well because she's also a friend. And we both realized this felt really forced. Mm. And I can tell as a reader when a book is written because somebody needed to write a book instead of yep. they had something to say. And I did not want to add to the noise because I feel like there's so many books being published now. Oh, so and, true. And I just question sometimes whether they need to be written. I have this really great idea for a book club where you just read the first book of like blockbuster authors, uh-huh. like the first John Grisham. Oh, and the first yeah. Danielle Steele, because those are the best ones. Yeah. Like you said, before they started turning them out, because they had to. Right, right. No, that's true. And yeah, I mean, you know, we can get into the business side of it, too. But I just feel like, I don't know, I, I'm about slower, but better. And mm-hmm. I 
I want at the, you know, end of my career to look back and be really proud of the bookshelf of books I've written. And so I just didn't want a filler book. And so I told Mm -hmm. my agent, you know what, I really don't have anything to say in the nonfiction space right now. I mean, maybe something will come to me and then I'll run to you with my idea, but nothing is coming to me. And I feel like that's okay. And yet I have like three and a half stories in my head that are fiction. And when I owned up to that, I realized, you know what, way back in high school, even middle school, when I thought about being a writer one day and how much I would love that, it was because I wanted to be a novelist. I wanted to Mm. write stories. And so I can say now, like, gosh, I wonder if me just getting my foot in the door as a writer back when I wrote my first nonfiction book was really so that maybe one day I could start sending out novels to the world. So all I have to say is this year I am trying my hand at writing a novel and we'll just see what happens. I don't know if it's going to be bought by a publisher. I would love that. Um, I am enjoying the process, which is great. It's so much harder than writing nonfiction. It's so hard. It's so <laughs> when you wrote that email, I was like, oh, my I'm so glad Tish can do this and then tell me how to do it, <laughs> because it's the same thing. Like, I love it. I, it's really something I've always seen myself doing. I want to do it. But I did the novel writing month, uh, um, mm. NaNoWriMo. Yep. And it's just so hard. You have to decide everything. Who is this person? What do they wear? Where do they live? What are they going to say next? What is this person going to say back? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's so intense. Yeah. And it's so much harder. There's so many tools that a writer or a novelist needs, you know, good dialogue, good inciting Mm -hmm. incidents, you know, resolutions, all these things that are classically, you know, important in a story that you've got to have. And that's so challenging. Like right now, one of the walls in our house is covered in sticky notes because (laughs) I'm working out the plot right now and my family Mm -hmm. can see it and they might have an idea. You know, Kyle can say like, oh, I know what this guy can, you know, what his backstory is now. So maybe this is why he's thinking this or why this he does this thing. And that's genuinely helpful because I need it. But, um, you know, right now I'm just in that stage of just doing the work. I'm in the process of rearranging my weekly schedules to make more time to write. Uh, a few weeks ago, I went to a place called The Quiet House here in Central Texas, Ooh, which is... I like that name. Yeah, right? I know. Um, it's a place out in the middle, honestly, of nowhere. It's on a camp called Laity Lodge. But even when you're there, they have to drive you up to The Quiet House. It's up on a hill. And there is no connection. There's no internet. Oh there's no gosh. cell service. In fact, the only way you can be reached is you have a walkie-talkie there. And Stop it. I know. In an emergency, they'll contact you to the lodge front desk or whatever. Um, and so I was there by myself for three nights, which was a little <gasps> bit, um, not, I guess it was scary at some point. Yeah, a little bit. It was just weird. And it was so enlightening how much I had not, um, had much quiet in my life for quite a while and that that was so needed. And, and so it was during that time when I took a step back and I realized I think of myself as a writer, first and foremost, honestly, more than a podcaster. I identify as a writer. I think that's where my best work comes from. That's where I tend to really connect with people is through my writing in, in my books. And yet I am doing my schedule. I am operating on a given week more like 
an entrepreneur or a podcaster, all mm-hmm. these other things that are good, but I'm not making time to write. And so this is only a few weeks ago, but moving forward, I'm working on making time every day to write because that's how this book is going to get written. Just butt in chair, you know, yep. with a, a goal. I don't know if you've ever heard of Seinfeld's thing about making a chain of X's on yeah. a calendar. That's what I need to be doing. I need to make that chain and just keep going until this book is done. So that's where I'm at right now. That is so intense. Well, and when you're talking about the tools of the writer, when I was on Ann Bogle's podcast, I talked about like it also, you know, I I know that intuitively as a reader because I know when somebody does it really well. Like I told her, like, if you come up as I did, it's not that I hadn't read fiction, but Harry Potter was like coming, becoming very popular when I was graduating from college. So those were some of the first novels I fell in love with sort of as an adult. Mm -hmm. I know they're quote unquote children's literature. I don't know if anybody talks about them like that anymore, but let's just pretend they do. Um, and when you fall in love with like her writing and then you read other people, you're like, oh, I see your gears moving because you never see her gears moving. You know, yeah. like you never see like, oh, she's moving this perk. She's doing this to make this line up like all like you said, all those tools. It's so rare. It's so mm-hmm. it is. It's just rare to find somebody that can do them all together. Yeah. And it's like even if you can identify them as a writer, a reader, when you sit down and try to do it yourself, you're like, oh, man, this is really hard. Well, and, you know, speaking of her, I remember watching a documentary interview of her and she talked about writing the last book. And I I think it's too late to worry about spoilers. But, you know, whenever she was describing how when she realized that, is it Fred that dies or George? Mm -hmm. I forget which one. One of the twins, one of the Weasley twins dies. She didn't know that was going to happen either. And when that happened, she just started crying and she had this whole moment herself. And, you know, I'm watching this thinking, you're how can you not know? You're literally the creator of this thing. How can you not know? And yet I kind of knew what she meant at the same time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just let the story tell itself and you're the conduit. Well, I mean, I am not J.K. Rowling, so I'm not even pretending to pretend, you know, to compare myself Mm -hmm. to her. But a few chapters into this thing and I. I 100% know know what she means. Like I'm sitting here writing and thinking, oh, I didn't know she was in Italy. I guess we're in Italy. Let's work on that. (laughs) And oh, she's going. Oh, this is why she's in Italy. Well, because you know, like this won't make sense. Like you start to put something together and you're like, this wouldn't be how this would go. Like in just in real life, this is not how this would work. Right, right. Yeah, it's so interesting because you and have then to... you're mad because you're like, no, but I want to work this way be so much easier if it did this way. Yes. But your other side of your brain's like, mm, girl, you know it wouldn't go like that. You're like, oh, dang it. I yeah. Right. And if you want a story that really resonates, it has to, mm-hmm. you know, you have to have the motive of each character. You have to have the reason for X, Y, and Z. And so I'm finding myself right now doing a lot of writing for backstory stuff that's not even going to be in the book, but I need to figure out. That's an interesting so, idea. So like I wrote a Wikipedia entry that I'm not going to publish of a particular part of this world I'm creating because I needed to figure out why did this thing get created? Who created it? What is its purpose? How is it used now? I needed to have this whole little thing so that I know so that when I refer to it in the actual novel that'll be published, I need to, I personally need to know why it was the way it was, you know? So, yeah. 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 Well, and you know, not to just keep going on this JK Rowling thing. I mean, that's what she, one of my favorite things I've heard her talk about is how she'll like be talking to someone, a fan, and she'll say something and watch their face change. She's like, oh shoot, I didn't put that in the book, but she has so much, Uh so much of that world left that she didn't put in the book. Yep. That she can't like keep it straight. You know what? I I could talk about J.K. Rowling all day, so you don't have Me to too. apologize for that. But I love that. I see her on Twitter engaging with readers and someone will ask her a question and she'll answer it. And, you know, like family tree stuff, like, yep. you know, what? who was Luna's grandmother? And she'll answer that because she's figured it out. It's so yep. amazing to me. I love that. 
That's my favorite J.K. Rowling story ever is the guy who shepherded all the films, like the producer, mm-hmm. not because they all had different directors, but he was like the producer. And he talks about when they were in um, Sirius Black's house and there was some scene where she was talking about the tapestry with his family tree was in the background. He called her and he was like, OK, so you only talked about a few, but we obviously need the whole tapestry for the film. So just, you know, put that together and you can send it to me later. And she was like, oh, no, do you have a pen and paper? Here it is. And she just went <laughs> and like just filled out his entire family tree. And the guy was like, are you kidding me right now? That's amazing. I love oh, that so, so I much. Know. I'm so in awe of people like that who have created entire worlds. I mean, we say people like that. There's what, maybe like three or four in the whole, you know. So history of good storytelling. But man, I mean, this is why I love really good storytelling, because they can be about completely fictional worlds that don't even remotely exist, but they tell us so much about ourselves and who we are and what we care about. Mm-hmm. And, and and they stick with us. I mean, here we are, two full-grown adult women talking about <laughs> these books that we cannot oh, get enough wizards. of. It's amazing to me. I love so much. I'm not even sad. Well, and that's what, you know, that's kind of always my thing about, I like celebrity culture. I woke up and watched The Royal Wedding because mm-hmm. those are still stories that we tell ourselves. When you have an opinion about Kim Kardashian, that is an expression of your value. And you might think you're expressing one thing, but perhaps you're expressing another. You know, like I was reading a Richard Rohr email and he was like, the art and the the stories that we, what repulses us is, is almost telling us as much about ourselves as what we're drawn to. You don't like modern art because it makes you uncomfortable? Why? Why does it make you uncomfortable? Mm. You know, like that's an important question to ask yourself. These stories, why do you connect with certain stories? And if you if you feel this aversion, why? Is that important? Do you need to think about that? Like, I, you know, especially... With celebrities, I think people think it's so shallow and it doesn't matter, but it does. We're talking about things when we're talking about those people. That is so interesting. I love that perspective. You know, I even wrote to my patrons this morning, um, you know, anybody else's weekend totally sidelined by the royal wedding and didn't get anything done. I almost felt like a little bit like I shouldn't admit that I'm not the type of person who would normally like that. But then I realized I am the type of person because I am I'm legitimately owning the fact that that's how my weekend went because of this royal wedding. Why Why do I care about being a person who doesn't care mm-hmm. about that? Like, what does that say about me? You know, and I just think that's so interesting that what we value, these, just like you say, these stories we tell ourselves or we, we can dive into tell us so much about this, our own story and our own, like who we are as characters in our story. I just think that's so interesting. It is. It's so interesting. And mm-hmm. can I just say, Tish, thank you for being a storyteller in my life for the last decade and for asking us all these questions and for sharing all this great insight about your own journey and how that's changed over the last several years. Oh, gosh. Thank you for letting I mean, every day I wake up thinking, oh, I can't believe this can be my work. I love it so much. So it's thank so you for, for liking it, too. I'm, I'm grateful. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for coming on The Nuance Life. Thanks for having me, friend. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 